Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. Well, we're going to jump right back into the Word this morning, John chapter 15. But before I do, how many of y'all like to hear good reports? You like good testimonies, right? We've been praying over little Noah for about four weeks now. And uh, if you'll throw that up on the screen, I got this from his mommy this morning. And uh, it's coming. There he is. Look at this. Oh, my goodness gracious. Amen. We rejoice over God's continued faithfulness. Brooke, are you here? Where are you? Brooke, mama, stand up. This is mama Brooke right there. Give her. We love you, girl. We're blessing. We're praying. They have some other folks there with them from uh, Ronald McDonald House and the hospital. Is that the young man that was here a few weeks ago? It is, isn't it? All right. It's good to have you back. And your mama, is your mama here with you? All right. Y'all stand up too. Look at these. This guy, amen. We're believing with him for a miracle. I've been praying over you. Every day I think about you since you were here a couple weeks ago, I've been praying over you. And somebody needs to make sure I know his name this morning so I don't say, Lord, you know that young man I'm talking about? So anyhow, we're blessed in praying over you, brother. Bless you. Brooke, we're standing with you. Can't wait till that baby leaves the hospital. And we're excited with you and for you. God is good all the time. And all the time. God is good. All right, we're going to pick up where we stopped two weeks ago. And uh, let me just say, as we open your Bibles to John 15, go to verse 10. I read 17 verses to you two weeks ago, uh, but uh, I'm going to pick up in verse 10 because we're not through there yet. And uh, I need to share a couple of things. Uh, But I want to say, even though she's not here, thank you to Susan Bozarth for last week. That was a really a powerful word on hope over uh, doubt, and I got a lot of response this week from many of you saying what a powerful word that was for you, that you were dealing with uh, doubt and and attacks of the enemy in the midst of your hope, but uh, hope is a wonderful thing, amen? Because our hope is not in hope. Our faith is not in faith. Our faith and our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where we put our confidence. And I know that's what uh, Brooke and uh, the whole family have been doing for little Noah. And uh, so I rejoice over the goodness of God. All right, John 15, beginning with verse uh, 10. I want to read to you, just uh, uh, reiterate a few of these verses from a couple of weeks ago. If you keep my commandments, say if. I, I, I was supposed to give you four words, and uh, I listened to the message this week, and I realized I gave you one word, and uh, that was it right there. The first word is if. If is a huge word in the Word of God. Jesus talks so oftentimes and would throw that word in if, meaning that there is a responsibility to what he was about to say. He was giving us a word, and he was saying, if you do this, this is what will happen, which means that the opposite is if you don't do this, the opposite's going to happen. So he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be 
full. That your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, let's just be honest. How many of you have at least just one person in your life that you're still working on that scripture with right there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, I'm gonna have an altar call, get like 75% of y'all saved. You're lying, everybody's got one family member, right? That that whole love thing, man, that's an act of faith. You know you don't have to like them, right? But you have to love them. Love and like is two different worlds. I love it when my wife loves me. But I really love it when she likes me. Because loving them, that's just, a, that's just an obedience to God thing. But liking you, well, that's, that's based on you. <laughs> How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Come on, how many of you men know what I'm talking about? It's not, it's not good enough that I just want her to love me. I want her to like me. But I've realized that that almost always depends upon me. And when my behavior is good, now I know y'all are just shocked to think that your pastor would ever have not really good behavior with his wife. Ooh, some of the women are looking at me like, you know, we're not shocked at all. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. I live with one of him too. The other morning, uh, we got up and I actually had two appointments on my, on my schedule, but I had failed and I blame it on chemo. I blame anything on chemo anymore, but I blamed it on chemo that I forgot to put them on my calendar. So I got up on Thursday morning, my calendar was clear because I had failed to put very important appointments there. And so uh, during our, mine and Suzanne's 43rd anniversary a week ago Friday, we were babysitting kids so they could go celebrate their anniversary. Come on somebody, what kind of parents are we? I'm talking, I'm talking a pat on the back right there. And, and after Jess realized that it was, it was our anniversary too, I knew she felt bad because Jess is the most sentimental person I've ever known in my life. I mean, you got to celebrate it on the day. So we were taking care of the munchkins while they were celebrating it on the day and having a good time. But we had a blast too. We took our kids to dinner on our anniversary. We got a free piece of pie out of it. Come on, somebody. You just got to slip it in to the waiter, you know, when you're celebrating something. Every, every week's a birthday or an anniversary, right? So anyhow, we had a great time with our kids over the weekend. And so Thursday, we had nothing on my calendar. And so uh, she said, honey, let's go celebrate our anniversary. So I said, absolutely. So we got up, got in the little car and drove off to the coast and uh, ate at one of our favorite restaurants and had a wonderful time. And I had a good attitude all day, even when we were shopping. But listen to this, we went to three stores and all my wife got was a, a bottle of soap. I bought three shirts at the one store, a pair of shoes at another store, and three more shirts at the other store. But I was done in five minutes. 
She shopped and shopped and shopped. She had nothing, soap. Like, really, baby, we can buy that in Gainesville. But, but it was a good day. We had a good meal. We drove home, and she liked me all day. Now, we've been out of town before when she didn't like me. Is anybody identifying with me in here? Is it just, I'm the only man that's ever done this. Okay. I'll just preach to myself then and move on. But, but loving and liking is a word of the Lord. But love is a command. And he says we are to love. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You, don't you love it when Jesus, when you're reading the red, Jesus says, you are my friends. Uh-oh, there's, there's that word again. If you do whatever I command you. So remember this. Whatever God has required of us, he has graced us. Come on, say it. Grace. Say he's graced me. So whatever he is required of us, he has graced us to do. You don't need to be praying about, Lord, help me to love my wife or help me to like my wife or Lord, help my wife to like me or whatever. You walk out in confidence the promise of God's word. We Christians, American Christians, we spend a lot of time praying about stuff. We're wasting our time because the word of the Lord surpasses any unfaithful word you're praying. We often pray about things that God has already graced us in our lives. The problem is we don't like it. Isn't that the truth? We're, 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 we're now trying to get all humble pie and whatever, God, you know, you got to grace. No, no, he's already graced you. Men, it says to treat your wives with, with love and to protect them and watch over them. You don't have to pray about that. You don't. It, you know what it says to the woman, right? Respect your man. Some of you men, we've counseled you before. My wife, don't she don't respect me. She don't give me no respect. Well, if I lived with you, I wouldn't either. Look, I'm 65 now. I got this daddy and granddaddy thing all down, and I'm just not, you know, just no need in holding back. There is a great, I'm telling you, you love your wife, treat her right, give her, give her, you know, provide for her, take care, don't be losing your temper all the time, you know, responding in anger, shortness, whatever. She's going to give you respect. It's going to be all over you. Your friends are going to be jealous because your wife talks to their wives. And their wives remind you <laughs> that that other man is treating his wife better than you're being treated. But if we love, step out in obedience and say, Lord, oh, here's another one. Loving your wife, I'll just pick on the men for a minute here. Loving your wife the way, oh, this is, this is good. Y'all ready for it, guys? The way she needs to be loved, not the way you need to be loved. 
<laughs> you men ought to be saying amen, like in faith. Like, honey, I'm doing that right. <laughs> Just don't look at her right now. You are my friends if you do what I have commanded you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. Boy, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, listen to this, this is a promise. This is, this is in the red, this is Jesus speaking. All the promises I've heard from my father, I say to you. This wasn't just to the disciples 2,000 years ago. Come on, this is to us today. So everything that was important then is important now. And, and he said, everything that I've heard my father saying concerning this, I've faithfully delivered to you. So literally, in the realest sense, when we are full of the Holy Spirit of God and, and Holy Spirit comes and reveals to us the things that we've heard, the things that we need to hear, the things that we need to know, when Holy Spirit reveals those things to us, we are no longer able to say, well, I did not know. We know because it's important. And never has there been a time, I believe, in America where we as believers need to be walking in love for the unlovable, for the angry, for the mean, for the bullies, for all the junk that the world, that the enemy of our soul causes people to respond and act to. Matter of fact, they're the same things you would be doing if you weren't saved. It'd be the same attitude. You'd probably be wanting to kill your babies, except for the love of God that has washed you and cleansed you and healed you and redeemed you. Many people in this room before Christ, you lived a hellacious life. Many babies were aborted out of people in this house. Aren't you glad for the goodness and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and his love for all of us? And that no matter what our sin is, except for the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, we can be forgiven of. The Holy Spirit comes to lead us to these things where we need to make sure that that thing's under the blood of Jesus. And when it's under the blood, then I'm absolutely convinced that even in these crazy times, and as you know, in the, you know, in the next year and a half, we're gonna be going through all this election process again. And thank God for America, and thank God where, you know, we get to vote, and thank God for all, but all the other stuff that goes with it. And believers start, start, stop treating unbelievers the way we should treat them during election period, because we think our person's more righteous than their person. Just going to hit them all this morning in preparation for us, making sure that we can hate sin without ever hating the sinner. We can hate the sin of homosexuality without ever hating anybody that's been bound up in that horrible sin. But that sin is no different than the, than the sin of adultery or fornication or sexual immorality or lying or cheating, or as I read to the men this week, being a coward. Wow. 
Revelation 21 verse 8 names the eight sin lifestyles that will separate us for eternity from the God who loved us. Eight of them. All kind of stuff in there, murder, sexual immorality, all this stuff. But the very first one is cowardice. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Being a coward, the lifestyle of a coward, is the number one sin that the Lord reveals to John as he writes. These eight sins will separate man from the eternal God who loved them for all eternity. So we can hate sin and its sin nature without ever hating the person because except for the grace of God, there am I. Amen? How many of you are thankful for the grace of God that brought you to salvation? Wow. Man, sometimes the grace of God in our lives is mercy and judgment. I want to be judged here. I don't want to be judged in eternity. Depart from me, I never knew you. If I need some judgment here on this earth to get my backside where it's supposed to be, which is humbly before the Lord confessing all my sin and acknowledging that I am in need of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And he forgives us and heals us and delivers us and cleanses us so that we can do what Jesus speaks about to the disciples. I mean, this whole thing right here, these 17 first verses of John 15 is all about, listen to this, two things, four things. Abiding in Christ, and out of that abiding, love unconditionally. Meaning our love is not based on a person doing what we think that they should do, and then therefore we'll love them. No, we love them when they don't do it. Because that's what they desperately need. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. Wow. So four things out of these first 17 verses that I feel like jump out almost verse by verse. The first one is what I gave you two weeks ago, the word if. And if needs to be a word that you really contemplate and meditate and think about daily as you're opening up the word of God and meditating on the word of God and reading the word of God. You need to be meditating on that big if today in your life. If the Lord says this, will I be obedient? Amen? Will I walk even if it's uncomfortable? Will I be obedient even when I don't like what the word if implies right here, right now? See, for some of you, it might be the Lord speaking to you 
Let me just go back to the men for a moment about covering your family in prayer. Now, when the Lord commands us to pray, doesn't suggest it when he literally commands us to pray. Again, if he's commanded us something, what has he given us? Grace. Grace to walk it out. So is that prayer covering two minutes as you're stuffing a bagel in your mouth and flying out the door? Or is it that you are willing to get up, set your clock for a time that you give to the Father because you realize how desperately you need his wisdom to know how to cover your wife and your children in 2022, especially your children, especially our children. As a grandfather today, there are so many times in my prayer over my grandkids that I'm really thankful that ultimately their daddies and mommies have the main responsibility. But as a grandparent that loves my children and love my children's children and believe that one day I'll get to see my children's children's children before I depart this world. Their decisions that they have to make in this day and age that we're living in, I'm telling you, it's not what we as parents had to go through when we were their age. Because they, they have everything accessible to them in the palm of their hand. And if they can't get to it themselves, 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 their friends want to tell them what they've been looking at. Even at the rock school. And when they open up these kids' minds, when they're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 years of age, gives the enemy all kind of room. You know what I, I'm hoping I'm doing right now? Putting the fear of God in daddies. The fear of God, not fear, not fear, but the fear of God. And the recognition that if I will cry out to God, he will give me the wisdom to know how to father my sons and my daughters. And the boys need fathering, and the girls need fathering. And they don't need it to be left up to just one of the parents. Now, if you're a single family parent, you have a grace that the married couples have a different grace. And there are times when you have to be both daddy and mommy. But you know as well as I do, that wasn't God's best for your children. We're living the consequences of this world that we're living in, which is the greatest, and I've been saying this a few times lately, the greatest attack in America is not gangs and drug addiction and alcohol addiction and, and you know, sexual immorality and all this stuff. The greatest single attack on the body of Christ in America is to get daddies out of the home and out of the house of God. But there is a grace that we don't have to buy into that. And every man at some point in time in their marriage will come to grip with having to stand firm and stand strong and stand in the presence of God, relying completely upon his presence to help me to do what I need to do, which is love my wife, father my children with grace, 
dignity. Discipline your kids without breaking their spirit. Okay? So you're not disciplining out of anger. Instead of sending the kids to the room, you know, maybe you need to go to the room for a little while before you do the discipline. Amen? Before you just think, well, if I just send them off, forget. No, no. You you need to, because you don't need to be coming back dealing with this four hours from now when it just happened right now. You need to be dealing with it, but you need to deal with it righteously. And I'm not, I'm not preaching because I always did this perfect. No, no, man, I'm telling you what. You can lose it. Your kids can make you lose it. Don't look at me like that, like, oh, no, I never, no, I never, I never respond like that. That's a lie. I've seen the best of you dads with smoke coming out of your ears. Because you know what? Most of the time when your kids mess up, they do it in front of somebody else and embarrass you. Ooh, I don't know where I've gotten off to on this morning. This, I know this was marriage and family workshop day. But there is a grace. And man, our children desperately need us to love them and to discipline them and help them. The second word is the word abide. And I would encourage you, do a word study on this in your private devotion time. Just, just meditate on what the Lord was saying when, when he used this word abide. Because again, see, he's not asking you to do something that he's not first already revealing to you that what he's asking you to do, he's been doing with his father. He, he says, I'm abiding in him. I was reading in my devotionals this week where Jesus had done a bunch of uh, uh, miracles with the disciples, and I think he had just fed the, the uh, uh, 5,000, you know, with a couple of pieces of bread and some fish. Pretty cool thing. I want to see that in, in video replay in heaven. But uh, he just kept breaking bread, kept breaking it, and it just kept, kept being broken. And, and then when they were through, they, they, they got all these baskets back because everything's important to Christ. But after doing all of this, he sends the disciples, he puts them in a boat and he says, y'all go to the other side, I'll meet you. And it says, then he turns and goes back and disperses the crowd. 5,000 men, not including women and children. He's like, okay, go home. And then it says he goes up onto the mountain to spend time in the presence of the father. What was he a do? What, 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 was, what was he a doing? He was a doing abiding. He was abiding in the Father. And then you know what? He looked out at his children, the disciples out over the sea, and he sees this massive storm has developed. It's like just hanging right over the disciples' boat. I don't know if this was another life lesson, but it says he went out onto the sea and he just starts walking. And, and one of the translations re- refers to the fact that he would have walked on past them had they not seen him, thinking he was a ghost, <laughs> cried out. Come up here a second, Hector, real quick. <laughs> they're in the boat, and they're like this. <laughs> Dude, Peter, that's a ghost. 
Oh, I see what you're, okay. Sorry. That's a ghost? I'm a disciple. With you. Yeah, you're a, you're a disciple, baby. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who Don't I was. you love Hector? Oh, my gosh. Hector's so easy to hug and love. And man, oh, they were hanging on. They were yes. scared to death. He's a ghost. The minute that Peter, this is Peter. Peter sees him. What does he do? Oh, I'm not Peter. Okay. What, is, what does Peter do? Peter talks to Jesus. What does he say? He said, Call me out and I'll come to you. And what does he do? He steps off the boat. He jumps! <laughs> but as soon as Peter gets out there, he's walking to Jesus. All of a sudden, man, his eyes go from Christ. How many of y'all like deep sea fishing? Let me see your hands. Y'all are crazy. Last time I went, I've been like five times, the last four times. You go out, it's all calm. Sky's blue, water's calm. And the boat captains always tell you, oh, it's going to be a perfect day. <laughs> four in a row. Two in a row, the boat broke down. The charter boat broke down. One time, Luke and I, we had caught so much fish, we had had a blast, and then it's time to go back. And by then, all of a sudden, we realized they ain't calm no more. It's gone from a foot to two feet to three to four, and it's rolling fives. And Luke and I are sitting up at the front of the boat, and we're trying to just keep our eyes out there, and, and the captain's down there in the middle of the boat trying to get this, this uh, belt on the boat. This is a slow moving boat when it's going fast. <laughs> but with a broken, a broken belt and smoke going everywhere, man, it was like six hours coming back in. I done forgot about how fun it was catching all those fish. <laughs> I'm like Peter, I've done taking my eyes off the Lord <laughs> and I've gone to praying. And I believe one of my prayers was this. If it wasn't that trip, it was the next one, which was the last. I said, Lord, never again. For $19.99, I can buy a whole pound of fresh grouper. Save myself about $350 I spent for this trip. And enjoy the meal without ever leaving land. Now call me a wuss all you want. I don't care. I don't like being nauseated. I don't like throwing up. I like the calmness. And Peter, he looked out and man, he lost focus on Jesus, put his eyes on the tempest, and he started sinking. Jesus said, abide in me. Hear me. The same way Peter sank in that water, believers sink every day when we get our eyes off of Christ and start looking at the circumstances around us. No matter what you're going through, marriage situation, finances, children, relationships, sickness, disease, a loved one, somebody hurting, every day, you have to get your eyes on Christ. You have to abide. I mean, I know it for me in my circumstances and situation every day. I cannot be moved by what I feel or what I see. 
Every day. It's not every other day. It's not every fifth day. But it's literally every day in my circumstance, I get up and I speak the word. As I take my meds, I speak God's word over those meds. First of all, that they'll do what they were created to do and they'll do no harm to my body. And they'll bring no adverse effects on my day because I got something to do and a purpose to live out. And then, man, wouldn't it just be great if you just got up and it was that easy? But it's not. Sometimes I do all of that and I get up. And, and Suzanne can tell you every once in a while, I say, honey, just pray for me. She said, what's going on? I, I don't even have words to explain how I feel, except it's weird. Everything inside my body feels like there's a battle raging because there is. But you're either going to give in to that, go crawl back in bed, get up tomorrow and try it again. Or you decide in your marriage situation, you're going to get some help. In your financial situation, you're going to stop spending what you ain't got. You want to solve your financial problems? Pay your tithe, give offerings to the house of God where God's joined you, and stop spending what you don't have. Then if you need some more help, man, we can provide you godly counsel to help you to get debt-free in your life. But never spending what you don't have will get you to a place of financial victory. Oh, four of you agree with that. It's good whether you like it or not. The third word that really jumps out in these 17 verses is the word love. And not the kind of love that just always feel good love. When everything's perfect or you remember your honeymoon or your wedding day, you know, or everything's perfect. But love like Christ called us to love the world that we're living in. And every day the world seems to be getting darker and darker, which I believe if you read scripture, it actually says that's what's gonna happen. But yet in the midst of it, he doesn't say, and when that happens, hey guys, when that happens, it's okay, I got a different plan. You don't have to love those people anymore. (laughs) No, it doesn't change. You know why? Because Jesus died a horrible death on the cross for your wicked sin and my wicked sin and their wicked sin. Before he ever knew if you would respond, bow a knee, surrender to the one who loves you so much. I've been reading a lot lately, uh, the book of Revelation, especially in the end of it. And I don't know about most of you, but I, I still have a lot of family that's not saved. And there are times when I just have zero hope for my unsaved family. I mean, like, they can be the most religious. The next time somebody in my family dies, you, you come, if I, have, if I have a service here for them, you come here and you would think by all the things that are said from the pulpit, from my family, that every one of them know Jesus and love him and serve him all the days of their life. But they don't. It's for a moment. Believe if you say the right things, then when you die, you're going to get to go to heaven because, well, you haven't killed anybody. Without Jesus, we're without hope. Without Jesus, there is no door to salvation. You can't be good enough. You can't buy your way into heaven. But hear me, our unsaved loved ones need us to stand in the gap. And not only fight the good fight, 
warfare for them. I have a nephew right now today. He's in the hospital in Jacksonville. They're going to try to bring him out of a coma today. He's only in his 40s. Total liver failure. Needs a liver transplant. They're not really certain, talking to my brother this morning, that what's going to happen when they try to start bringing him out of this induced coma they put him in. And my prayer is, God, have mercy so that somewhere in his consciousness, he will come to the realization of how desperately he needs Jesus. And all his religious talk will be to no avail if he dies and leaves this world in the state he's in today. And it would be good for every believer that has unsaved loved ones to spend some time reading what eternity in hell is going to be like without God. I got a revelation the other day as I was meditating on this in Revelation 21 and 22 that the beauty of heaven is going to be beyond what you can comprehend or think. Eternity living, living. We're not going to be floating around with wings on clouds and have no purpose. No, no. We're going to be ruling and reigning on the new earth that Jesus is going to bring from heaven. The new heavens coming to the new earth. And we have a purpose and a plan for all eternity. But for all the same eternity, every one of our family that doesn't hear well done, and here's the part for me, will also be living in a hell that's every bit as real as the heaven is. And if that doesn't put a love in your heart for your lost loved one, the idea that you would ever say or even think to someone, go to hell, means you have no revelation of what heaven and hell is gonna be like. Because as great as heaven's gonna be, Hell was never created for us. Created for Satan, Lucifer, and all of his wimpy demons. You have to choose hell. Just like you have to choose heaven. And, and, and this week as I was having a new sense of awareness that some of my loved ones might not ever get saved if I don't up the ante on my prayer time. Asking God, listen to me. Whatever it takes to the destruction of their flesh that their spirit soul man would be saved. I've said that to parents before and gasped and they've seen one of them run out of my room going, you can't love your kids if you pray that. No, no, no. I love my kids enough. I prayed that before. Prayed that over Luke. Because rebellion is a wicked, ugly thing that will separate you forever. That's, what's, that's what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. But boy, repentance, the fruit of repentance. Today, I have a wonderful relationship with my son, Luke, Suzanne and I both, and him with his brothers and him with his wife. They just celebrated 16 years yesterday. And uh, wow, that's, that's a long time. But I'm telling you, had Luke not made a decision to repent, he would have never been that man that Ollie would have, she'd have killed him. 
it, right after I did. Just, we're just joking for everybody watching online. It's okay, we're not beginning murder up here. But the love of God, the love of God changes everything. And the fourth one, and I close, Jesus said, you did not choose me. I chose you. Every time I get down on me, man, I just, by the Holy Spirit, start reminding myself that Jesus chose me first. And the, the, even the ability to turn and choose him was because he gave his Holy Spirit to me to convict me of my sin, my unrighteousness, so that I could turn to him. Most of you in this room this morning have a personal relationship with the living God. Jesus is Lord of your life. You've invited Holy Spirit into your life. They are the door to the Father. And you're learning to walk with God on a daily basis, learning to love Him, learning to be obedient to Him. Man, that is a wonderful thing. It's a life process. It's a life walk. There are some in this room today that maybe you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been to church and religion was a part of your lifestyle. But religion and relationship are two different worlds. There was nobody more religious than the men, the Pharisees, Sadducees in the day that Christ. And yet he called them, Jesus called them all kinds of names. But what he was looking for was a heart that wanted the Father. And this morning, if there's even one person in this room today that you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't have a confidence in your heart that if today you were to die, you would hear, well done, come into my kingdom. I've reserved a place for you. If you don't have that full confidence, my prayer is that you will come alive with the realization, the revelation of how real God's word is, how real heaven is, how real hell is, and how desperately God loved you so much that he gave his son Jesus, who was willing to die on a cross, not knowing if you would ever surrender your life, but he's willing to die for you anyhow. That's great love. That's God choosing you first. So I wanna invite everyone in the congregation to stand. Those of you that are watching online, you cannot respond at least in a way that I can see, but you can call the office. But this morning, as we all stand before him today, most of the time I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Believers pray, believers y'all can pray. But if you're standing in this room this morning, I don't care how young you are or how old you are, and you don't have a full confidence of a personal relationship with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We wanna pray for you, lead you in a simple prayer where you say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. Well, Pastor, it'd be a whole lot easier if you'd have everybody bow their head and close their eyes. I'm not looking for easy, because easy's not gonna get you to heaven. 
And every one of us that are already in this place, we're not here because we're perfect. We're here because we asked Jesus into our life. But this morning, if you'd like me to lead you in a prayer, I'm gonna invite you to lift up your hand and let me see it. And we're gonna lead you in a prayer and say, Jesus, come into my life today, forever in eternity, your life can be forever marked. Pastor, seriously, one simple prayer, one simple prayer is a prayer of acknowledging Christ is the son of the living God, that he died for you, and that by faith you're receiving his blood to cleanse you of all unrighteousness and to walk with him. If that's you this morning, just lift up your hand. Anywhere in this congregation, I'll wait a minute. Say, wow, Pastor, you sure are putting pressure on folks. We're not going to sneak into heaven. Or we're going to bust hell wide open. But the bottom line is, man, Jesus is the answer. Amen? He is the one that can save and redeem. Anyone this morning? Today, we have a couple that are going to be baptized tomorrow. A couple of young men that gave their hearts to the Lord this last week in one of our Connect groups. Isn't that awesome and great? In Connect groups, people are getting saved. We're baptizing. <laughs> you know what? Let's give a clap like we mean it. None of that have patty cake stuff. All right? Come on, somebody. Two, two young men give their heart to Jesus. It's worth celebrating. Amen, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.